Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. I am so excited for you to join me. Oh, hi, my name is Jessica Morehouse, and this is episode 389 of the show. And I have a great episode for you, and it's very special because not only do I have one guest, no, 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 I've got more than that. I've got two. And I feel like that's just double the fun. And not only that, but as a reminder, since last week, I am doing all my podcasts video. So if you want to watch, get that visual component, you can do that by checking out the full uh, video of this interview and last week's uh, episode on my YouTube channel. You can find that at jessicamorehouse.com slash YouTube or just find Jessica Morehouse within YouTube. You will find my channel. Please subscribe. And also, you know, I'm sharing little clips on social media. So if you want to follow me on the gram, no one says that anymore. And except for me. Uh, You can find me at Jessica I. Morehouse or follow the show at More Money Podcast on Instagram as well. So for today's episode, I have two powerhouse women who, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever achieve their level of success, unlikely, but that's why I have them on the show. So I can try to get some wisdom from them. I have got Grace Puma and Christiana Smith-She on the show. Uh, Grace is the former executive vice president and COO of PepsiCo, and before that, held senior positions with United Airlines, Kraft Foods, Motorola, and Gillette. And she's also a board member of both Argonon and Co. and Target, and she's been ranked on the most powerful Latina list by Fortune Magazine and recognized as the Executive of the Year by Latina Style Magazine. She holds a BA in Business Administration and Economics from Illinois Benedictine University. And Christiana is the former president of Nike's Consumer Direct Division, where she led the company's global retail and e-commerce business. Before that, she was a senior partner at McKinsey & Co., and she has been named one of the most influential corporate directors by Women, Inc. She currently leads Lovejoy Advisors, which is focused on digitally transforming consumer and retail businesses. And she's a graduate of Stanford University and has an MBA from Harvard Business School, where she graduated as a Baker Scholar. So yeah, like, you know, heavy hitters right here. And not only that, why they're on the show, especially together, is because they wrote a book together that is... Is, uh, just on shelves called Career Forward Strategies from Women Who've Made It. And what they are doing is basically drawing on their decades of experience reaching the top of Fortune 500 companies and empowering women to excel in their careers, get paid what they're worth, challenge negative stereotypes about female ambition, navigate corporate dynamics, develop leadership identities, and ultimately live a full life in and out of work. Is it possible? We will find out in this episode. So, Let's get to it. Well, welcome, ladies, to the More Money Podcast. I feel so privileged to have you both on the show. You have uh, amazing careers that I can only hope to have a little, little bit of that in my my lifetime. Um, so I'm I'm thrilled to be here and to talk about your uh, upcoming uh, book. Though I think maybe when this is released, it'll be on shelves so people can grab a copy uh, called Career Forward. So. Uh, before we really kind of dive into some of the topics in your book, which I think should serve as some really great, um, you know, real life examples of what you can do as a woman, because there's a lot of things that are working against us in the corporate world or in business. Um, let me, you know, find out a little bit more about your journeys. Grace, I want to kind of start with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself, how you were able to get yourself to where you are today. Oh, great. Thanks. Um, you know, I think it started originally my path was really in procurement, um, global procurement, but I would say over the years I grew into running global operations, um, within my last position at PepsiCo. Um, but how I got there was really being able to be strategic about my career. And that's a lot of what this book's about. 
thinking through, you know, where were my strengths and how do I build the strengths and the capabilities necessary to contribute to the different companies um, that I worked for across my career. Were you always very career focused, business oriented, like even growing up? Because, you know, it's that's it's easy to to kind of, you know, say, oh, you know, I just is focused, but it's, it's very difficult to do. So did you always have a very clear idea of where you wanted to go, what you wanted to achieve? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I think early on, you know, as I was growing up, I had a very strong work ethic. And I talk a little bit in the book about starting work at like 14 and a bakery, et cetera. But I liked working and I liked working hard and I liked learning. And so those those um, conditions allowed me to really think through strategically about cultivating a career. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I always had an interest in business and an interest in having a career. But I think behind that was really being intellectually driven you know, mm. enjoying work, enjoying the growth that work can provide you. So mm -hmm. that led me to be strategic about and have ambitions around what I wanted to achieve and how I continued to take the right steps in my career to be able to grow. Absolutely. And uh, now, Christiana, moving over to you, tell me a little bit about your, your journey. How did you get to where you were today? I, Grace has heard this before, but I always say no one would have picked me out of a family photo to say that I oh. ended up being pre president <laughs> of, you know, Nike's you know, $8 billion consumer division, right? Because I was the middle child of five. So I wasn't the oldest. I wasn't the only, I wasn't the youngest. And I wasn't even the oldest girl. So my sister's two years older than me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just this little blonde kid who grew up in this big noisy family in the Midwest. But I wanted to go somewhere. I wanted a I guess similar to Grace, my motivation was I wanted a bigger life. I just yeah. felt like there was more out there and I wanted to see it and I wanted to do it. And my mom, who did not have a college degree when she got married and had five kids in six years, she actually wow. inspired me because she went back to school to get her college degree when my youngest brother started kindergarten. And subliminally, I think what we all picked up was education. It's about education. And, and that was the path I took was, you know what, I'm going to try to do as well as I can in school. I'm going to try to go to the best school that I can, and I'm going to see where that takes me. So it really wasn't initially that I had some strong corporate desire, business desire. I, for a while, I wanted to be a cosmetologist, you know, that's mm -hmm. what I told my mom. But as I got into it, and this is what we say in Career Forward, I had a lot of different experiences. I had a lot of different jobs in college. I tried investment banking before graduate school. I, I did consulting after grad school. And ultimately, I landed in you know athletic um, consumer brands, right? And all of those experiences taught me something about what I wanted to do because I was paying attention, you know, and I was really trying to learn what I liked, who I liked, where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And I mean, our bias is you never stop learning that about yourself. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned that it was such a pivotal moment seeing your mom go back to school. And I think that's a really important point because there's lots of data out there that shows that women, especially kids are watching you because you really are usually the primary parent. Everything that you do, your children really watch. And especially for young boys, seeing women in the household, you know, get a career, or get that education, which traditionally, you know, we didn't have access to is literally will change generations. So I think that's so wonderful that you brought that up because, I mean, that's the same thing. I, I didn't see my mom. She went to school, but she didn't uh, finish her degree. But 
I saw, you know, kind of connecting to why I'm interested in personal finance, how involved she was with the finances. And that changed my life. Yeah, I bet. And I I think both Grace and I were motivated to write Career Forward and share some of the learnings because we both have kids. We both have millennial children. They're in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s. They saw us working the entire time they grew up. We both have sons. Mm -hmm. And I think you're absolutely right that it creates an underlying understanding and connection that that is really different from previous generations to seeing that it's a very natural thing to have this woman in not just working but supporting the family and leading others yeah like normalizing something yeah. that was abnormal for i mean up until honestly recently so you know I, i'm curious what made you both want to write this book. You mentioned part of the motivation was to, you know, you both have uh, children and and you really wanted to give maybe a template for them and to inspire uh, younger generations. But what were some of the things that you want to make sure made it into this book that maybe you haven't seen too much? Because, I mean, I'd say the one book that always comes to mind, though it isn't perfect, is Lean In. I remember most women read that book. A lot of good things, a lot of things that you're like, well, actually, maybe maybe that isn't quite right. So what were some things that you want to do differently in this book? I, I, I'll start with that. I think it's really important to us. Our entire book is written on empowerment, that you are in the wheel of your own career decision. So it's, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for um, being strategic about your career. You know, these are practical guides on how to cultivate the twists and turns that happen during a long career. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of empowerment in people owning ambition, owning achievement, and figuring out how to make the right decisions along the way to be able to get there. So it's an uplifting book. I mean, there are a lot of things in the workforce that are challenging, but we wanted to write a book that was going to be um, empowering and also very practical as a guide for people to maneuver it. I'd say that that notion of you're driving your career or somebody else is driving your career. Mm, right? I One like way that. or another, things are happening that determine where you're working, what your income level is, what your opportunities are. And without a doubt, there's a lot of hurdles that you may or may not ever be able to completely avoid. So we're not part of, I think, the tone of this book that is different from from some others is we're not Pollyanna. Yeah, We're not assuming you have an Ivy League education. We're not assuming anything. We're meeting people where they are, and we're saying, own up to the fact that if you actually are mindful about your career, you can probably get someplace you actually want to go. So that that would be, I think, probably the most important. The second one that we always say that we get some looks when we say it is, don't forget that your job is not your career. And people are Ooh. like, what? Right. Your job is your job, okay? Your yeah. job is what you are doing right now. And over time, you want to have more and more control over the jobs that you're doing so that they are fulfilling to you so that they do give you joy so that you are inspired to, to be your best. But your loyalty ought to be to yourself, right? And, mm-hmm. and to where you're trying to go and keeping that mindset and recognizing my job is a, an important building block in my career, but it is what I am doing now. And that frees you up to be objective about where else you might want to go and whether this is the right thing for you at this moment in time and what else you need to do and take on to build yourself to be in a position to get somewhere else. And it also, it also we've seen people stagnate where they believe 
where they are today is, you know, I'm great at my job and getting great reviews. People love me. That's great. But that's today. And if you Mm -hmm. get too um, focused on your current position, you may not be thinking about where you need to go next, what skills and contributions you need to cultivate to get there. So it's like, you know, staying humble and hungry, um, but also, you know, never getting so complacent on your current environment as being the only environment to which to maneuver. Mm -hmm. You can tell we're not big fans of lazy girl jobs or quiet quitting, you know, some of these trends, not because we don't support the notion of trying to have a life that inspires you in and out of work. We can talk about that because we completely agree with that. But because we think those are very short-term approaches to a job, those are not really approaches to a career. So yeah, if Mm -hmm. you're in a situation that's not working for you, sometimes it's very tempting to shut down, to bring the bare minimum and to go home at night. We would just say, you're not stuck there, right? If you're the driver of your career and that's, you're not feeling motivated to bring the best every day because the place you're in isn't doing it for you, then start figuring out where to go and take the steps you need to take to get yourself there. Yeah. Like things aren't going to get better if you're miserable at your job and you just stay there and then you start, you know, fine, I'm just not going to put a hundred percent in. That's fine. But then what's the, what's the goal you what's know, what's the, the long term vision? The <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a long term strategy because eventually your boss, your manager, your coworkers, they sort of figure out. Yeah. And there is really no stasis, right? You know, just like in physics or whatever. Eventually you think you can just plateau, but the reality is gravity is going to pull you down and mm-hmm. you will eventually find that you are not competitive, that you are not, even though you thought you were phoning in the bare minimum, it isn't the bare minimum anymore. And you're going to run out of options. And we don't want to see, women in particular, get themselves into that spot. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about, you know, we talk about in the book, you know, setting and understanding what your cardinal direction is. And we realize, and I think Christiana talked about it, that careers are very fluid, but taking the time to strategically think through, you know, what are your passions? Um, what, what are you good at? Um, what type of environment do you want to work in? And own a positive momentum to cultivating what will it take for you to be competitive to move into those spaces? And I think that's the part that's rooted in performance, but it's also rooted in commitment to grow and commitment to learn. Um, and when you focus on those things, the opportunities yeah. tend to come. And then you're able to progress your career. And, and you're very honest about the journey of how you do that. Mm-hmm. Just kind of jumping on uh, something you said about staying hungry, which I think is actually really important for a lot of my career before I d- did what I do now. And I've seen this with a lot of my friends as well. When you're unhappy with your your job and then you stop really seeing the the big vision of your career and you get complacent, it really has a ripple effect. And that is how you know the burnout can happen. And then it's really hard to dig yourself out of burnout. It can take years. And it's funny because it's like once you figure out, like take that time outside of work to be like, what does get me excited? What does make me hungry for more? You should be doing that thing. Of course, we can, you know, acknowledge it's, you know, easier said than done. You know, sometimes it requires money, uh, stability, uh, you know, support, time, um, all these, you know, resources. But I always think, you know, when I made the decision to leave the corporate world, I used to work in marketing to to do what I do now. It was the scariest thing, but I'm, I would 
I was I was so scared more of what would happen if I didn't do it. What if I what if I didn't try? I'd be where I am now and probably not any happier. So I think it's really important that that the staying hungry and don't focus on the job, the career, because we can get very focused on the job thinking that is the career. And I think that is the the really important key. That's point. the crux of it. I think also, you know, when we think about taking leaps and, you know, being concerned about the risk, you you made yeah. a huge change, right? Mm-hmm. We also talk about how can you create options for yourself or optionality, if you want to use that buzzword, to de-risk it, right? Yeah. What, you know, mm-hmm. what can you do? Yes, big changes are risky. Yes, following a passion can be risky. What can you do to lay the tracks to ride on out toward that goal in a less risky way? And, you know, my example is I got out of college. I took an investment banking job at Merrill Lynch because I needed to pay back a boatload of student loans. I went to an expensive school and I borrowed a lot of money. I was six weeks into the job and I remember writing a note to myself during the training class we had to take. I have, I am not staying here. Like that was my <laughs> note to myself. And I was six weeks in, I had moved from San Diego, California to Manhattan. I didn't know anybody. It was like, I had no safety net. So I said, so I did the work to say, Hey, if this isn't right for me, I'm not, I can't afford to quit right now. I just moved to New York, right? I got student loans. I need to figure out how to lay the tracks to something else. And the lay the tracks goal to me was graduate school because that's a reset point for a lot of folks, right? You go, you meet new people, you learn new things, you see a lot of careers. And so it took me three years. And I, in the meantime, didn't go to work every day hating it. I made relationships and connections at work and I moved out of one part of Merrill Lynch into a different part of Merrill Lynch, the treasurer's office, where I could work every day with people I liked and do work I liked. I just knew Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do it long term. But by Mm -hmm. doing that for three years, I made enough money, got enough of a track record to get the recommendations, to get the, the application done to go to grad school, right? And so that's where time is important, right? Because I, if I would have quit right then, that would have been a really rash move that got me no place. Yeah, it's really about making those plans in advance before it's like, don't, you know, I see a lot of things online about, oh, just quit your nine to five and start whatever. It's like, no, no, no. Like for me, when I quit, I was slowly putting kind of subconsciously plans money away into an account so I could leave to have that kind of buffer because I knew that I couldn't afford to quit when I really wanted to quit. (laughs) So I had to stay there a good like six months after the fact to make sure this was stable and also had my plan B and C. If this doesn't work out, that's fine. I'll get another job. I'll go back to school. I can do these different things. What you just said is so important because um, Grace and I talk about that too, which is the better you are at what you're doing and the more intentional you are, the more options you create for yourself so that you yeah. always have a plan B. We, we talk a lot about professional equity and the whole book is rooted that that's table stakes. Okay. Performance yeah. is table stakes. Building professional equity is what really unleashes you to be able to have opportunities, to be able to be considered for new new things. So you really have to have that kind of mindset that says, and it isn't a stagnant thing. It's like, where am I going to be able to add value? How can I build different skill sets? And how do I make myself best positioned to be able to compete or enter um, different career paths? And that that's really critical um, because professional equity is very different than getting a good rating on your performance review of your day. Uh, It's completely different. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned something in the book about 
thinking your yourself and your career as a growth stock. I thought that was a really interesting way of uh, framing it. And also, I, I really like it because I think if you just frame things differently, sometimes it, it like clicks. And I'm like, that makes a lot more sense and sounds a lot more exciting than, oh, I have to keep on training and learning. new. I'm tired. But if you think of yourself as you're like a growth stock. You are your own company, basically. And, you know, you need to build that equity. You need to reinvest into the business to make sure you're more valuable. As someone who was in finance, I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> we do too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's um I think that's a, a critical analogy that everybody can use. And if you just step back and you say, Well, what is a growth stock? Um, the growth stock is think of any company that comes to mind for you. You know, let's say Apple, for example there's some characteristics of, of thinking and having a mindset like a growth stock company. If you apply it, they're always investing. They're looking around the corners on what's the next area to add value. Um, they're, they're growing, uh, they're returning um, value back on a consistent basis. So if you apply that to yourself, you're going to be in a mode to say, you know, I'm going to continue to grow and invest myself and learn because it's going to make me the best I can be as I go down that journey of my career. And, um, and that's actually invigorating. That's not exhausting. Mm -hmm. That's actually invigorating. Yeah. Yeah. When you think of it in a different way, it's more exciting. And I would add, in addition to investing in yourself, because you think of yourself as a growth stock, others will invest in you. That's right. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot in the book too about needing supporters, right? Needing people who are advocates for you, who will tell you when you're astray, who will look out for opportunity for you, who will help open doors for you. I mean, I've listened to a number of your podcasts and most of the women can highlight others who have really helped yeah. create opportunity for them. Why? Because those people looked at them and said, she's going someplace. And I'm excited to be a part of that. And I'm going to invest my time or my connections or my energy in helping her get someplace, right? And attracting that investment from other people is one of the big differentiators of folks who succeed in their career. It, it, it also builds confidence in yourself. Um, and both Christian and I, Christiana and I talk about in the book how we've had career moments, you know, for example, when I went to go leave a very stable food company and when working for an airline and then the financial mm -hmm. crisis hit and the mm -hmm. stock went down to, as I said, a, a price of a latte. At that point, you know, these are soul searching moments. If you have a growth stock mentality, you've been building professional equity, you've been learning, even though it can be scary at that point, you know, and I was a single, uh, single mother supporting my, my family, you take a moment and you say, you know what, I'm going to be okay. I have yeah. the confidence to know that I haven't been sitting stagnant and I am going to be marketable. And if things go south and they didn't, um, but if things had gone south, I'd be able to not only rebound, but leap to another opportunity. So it is actually a fallacy to believe that there's job security anywhere. Yeah, okay? that's something that I completely agree with that. I feel like for whatever reason, uh, we learned that certain industries, certain places are more secure, and I've never experienced that in my career. No, I, I think it's an old premise, and I think if you shift that to say your job security is cultivating professional equity, continuing to manage yourself and your career, you as a growth stock, those are things that are sustainable and can be leveraged as the environments shift. Yeah, no, I think the only thing that you can really count on is that things will not play out how you think they will. I'm, I'm curious with both of your long careers, what were some things that surprised you or some hurdles that came your way that you had to overcome? 
I would say for both of us and for any parent, one you know major transition point that's difficult to make it through is becoming a parent, right? And having others who are depending on you. And no one can really prepare you for that. You know, you can watch others and certainly we recommend you do like watch what's going on, see who's kind of maintaining the kind of, you know, life that you want to have. How do they do it, et cetera. But we wanted to just like flat out give women some tips because it's like you get to this point, whether it's caring for your own kids or caring for elderly parents, which is a reality for a lot of us, you're going to have to make some changes. And we talk a lot about this concept of, you know, your 360 life, which is recognize over time that there are many facets to your life besides work. This concept of work-life balance is an antiquated notion because nobody ever found the balance. So why don't we stop talking about it? (laughs) And let's talk about how you can turn the dial across these different facets of your life so that at any point in time, the things are at the top of your priority list that need to be there. But they don't always have to be there. And so some, you know, as my son got older, he didn't want me in his classroom every week volunteering and making copies and doing, you know, stuff for the teacher. So, you know, I could have continued to knock myself out and try to be there. And he would have been like, mom, this is awkward. So, you know, (laughs) my dial turned a little bit. And that's that I think was a major transition point. And it's a multi-year point where we do see a lot of women drop out of the workforce because they just... They don't have the support. They don't have the options. They haven't built the equity and they're not, I think, aware enough of of options that they could create to get the support to move them through that kind of choke point. And that for me was really the first, you know, most difficult hurdle. Absolutely. I think that's a big reason why a lot of women are either starting families later so they can kind of build that career or they're just deciding not to have families. Like that's it's one of the many reasons that I, I don't want to start a family with my husband. I mean, we really like our life and that's part of it. But a lot of it is I don't know how to do that. But like I, I look at women who are mothers who have these amazing careers and I'm in awe because it sounds impossible. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But I, I, another thing that you sort of touched on it, and there's a lot of uh, data to back this up, is the idea of this motherhood penalty, that you get penalized depending on you, what kind of career environment you're in, what, what uh, position you're at. If you have a child, it can delay your career growth moving forward, whereas for men, usually they actually get a career bump. Have any of you experienced that, or what has your, been, your, your kind of thoughts on that? I think at the point I had, um, my kids were small. I, I don't think I experienced a career penalty. I think I think what I did, though, is, you know, in the generation that we had gone through, I made a point to make sure my personal life was was, um, you know, was not obvious in my business life. And so what did that mean? You know, you so that's a, that in itself is a penalty. Right. And I, mm-hmm. and I yeah, you think, can't talk about a big part of yeah, your life because like you don't want to be penalized. Those are your, you're actually working, you know, twice as hard and you're the first one in. And I was the last one out yeah. many times. I mean, I think I did that through my whole career. And that comes as a price. Okay. But that was a price to be able to compete in that generation. I think today women have a lot more, and it's a good thing, a lot more flexibility and embracing 
when we talk about 360 Live, it's based in the fact that you're not just intentional of your decisions, but we believe your whole self is what brings you know, you success in your workplace. And that means success in home and success in business. And so I think that's a different mentality versus, you know, penalties. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, it's a real thing that that has to be thought through. Um, And then you have to have the skills to maneuver it um, differently. I think also with that kind of mindset of owning your career, if having a family means it might take you longer to get somewhere you want to go, then how can you get in front of that and own that so that that time frame and what you do with that time works for you, right? You know, I saw a quote that said, hey, you know, remember that women's careers are a long game because most women CEOs, and there aren't many, are in their 50s and 60s. So so chill out, right? You've got time (laughs) is basically what it is. That was my experience because I was in management consulting when I had my son. And it's a seven day a week career. You know, it's a little better now, but it's, it's a, it's an always on kind of thing. Cause you have clients and clients don't really care about your schedule, right? That's not what they're there for. And I, you know, what I did was very intentionally ask the partners to help me create a part-time program that I could stay on for several years while my son got to the point where he didn't need, you know, round the clock care, right. Which basically means, you know, they get into, to, um, preschool or kindergarten. And I own, I, it's part of being in the driver's seat again. I actually went to them with a proposal and nobody had gone part-time at McKinsey before. This is the dark ages, right? Yeah. And I did a lot of research, talked to a lot of women. I had friends in tech and they were doing job sharing. I thought that was cool. And I put together something that I thought might work, which was basically a four day a week plan where I was three days a week um, you know, weekend plus Mondays and always knew that I had three days in town that always knew I had three days to get to doctor's appointments and go to his classroom and all the rest of that. And I owned up to the fact that, yeah, it'll take me longer to get elected partner because now I'm working 80%, but that's my choice. Nobody came to me and said, Hey, you know what? We're going to make it take you two more years to get elected partner because you had a baby, right? I went and said, how do I make this work for me and acknowledge that it will take me longer, but I'm going to enjoy the ride while I'm doing it. And by the way, that part-time proposal that I put together was only supposed to be for a short while. And I ended up staying part-time for almost 10 years and Mm. had the best time balancing, you know, the things that I needed to do at home and at work. So that's, that's our point, which is, yeah, maybe there is a penalty. How about making that work for you by getting in front of it? How about understanding, Hey, wait a second. I don't have to just sit here and wait till my boss comes and tells me you're not getting promoted because you're not showing up enough. I can go to them and say, this is what I can do. And this is what I'm willing to do. How do I make that work for both the company and for me? Yeah. I think, um, I think also another way to think about it is, you know, you're making your, um, choices, um, where it, ultimately brings you satisfaction. So they're not always long-term, you know, for example, my daughter was in high school, um, moving her would have been incredibly detrimental. Yet I was at a point where I was highly being sought after for chief procurement roles, but they were outside of the Chicago area where I was living. I consciously made a decision not to take one out of state for three years. Okay. And that was a personal decision I made because she was important to me and I knew she needed the stability. But that didn't mean my career stalled. Okay. To Christiana's point, 
Um, for one thing, I started to take on expanded roles in the company I was in, making sure that I thought through different categories of experience, different roles that I could take. But then I also got recruited for a job in Chicago and I took it. And it was one of the best career jobs I could have asked for. It sounded crazy. I went to go work for an airline and everybody thought I was nuts leaving a big food company. But for those three years that I was there, we transformed the company, we sold it off and it led me um, some very critical experiences to be able to leap to the next big job. So I think it's about not being a victim, but being empowered to think through what do you need? What does your family need? And how do you use the time and create the solutions that allow you to continue to progress uh, your career to where you want to take it? You mentioned also, too, in, in your book, um, the importance of having a mentor. And I think that's really important, especially for women, because a lot of things like salary or or just, you know, how do you advance? How do you get to those in the C-suite, which, you know, not a lot of women still are in that position. You need to make those kind of connections with women who have access, who are in those positions. How would one go about finding a mentor or, or what, you know, as mentors yourself, I'm sure to many people, what are some things that you want, you know, young women or women who are sort of young like myself um, and, you know, want to progress and, and get to that kind of pinnacle in their career? What what are some really key things that you you hope they know? Well, the first thing I would say is we mentors are important, but so are sponsors. And we, mm. we talk about that a lot in the book because mentors, a mentoring relationship by definition is a coaching relationship. It is someone who's willing to give you advice and someone who's willing to listen and help you problem solve. Very important, particularly when you're getting into a new situation or a new field and you need someone who understands the lay of the land and is going to help you navigate. Sponsors, in addition to that, put skin in the game. Mm. They leverage their equity to help you. And we talked about that growth when we talked about growth stock, which is you attract sponsors in part because you look like the kind of person who will return the investment to someone who invests time in you. You will do well. You will follow up, et cetera. And so we want to make sure women think about building a network, not just of mentors who give you advice for free, but sponsors who are willing to pound the table for you, who are willing to advocate for your advancement, who are willing to connect you to someone they know who has an interesting job that they think you ought to be considered for. Those are the people that are really putting you know, themselves on the line for you and you need them. And I think what attracts me at least to someone who's a potential mentee or someone I might sponsor is that I see, first of all, they have that growth stock mentality. They're looking to continue to progress. They are conscious and aware and then mindful about what they're trying to do. And then finally, they're willing to try things. Because when you're mentoring someone and you're giving them advice and they're like, that won't work, that won't work, I mm-hmm. tried that, that's not for me. You know, it, you pretty quickly as a mentor decide that you could spend your time better elsewhere because they're just not open to trying something or doing something new or different. So I do think activating on some of the advice and taking advantage of the opportunities is important for you to continue to have someone want to invest the time to help you out. Yeah. I would also add that, you know, be prepared in your career. I know I had experiences where your sponsors, um, there might be a management change or, or a uh, acquisition change where they, or they retire, where they leave. And now you have to constantly be cultivating 
um, you know, sponsors, but you cultivate them through performance. They're there and they're sponsoring you because they're in the company and they see you're going to add future growth and future value. That's, that's it at the end of the day. It's a business relationship. Okay. Sponsors are there not as your friends. They're there because they know that you have a talent and you're going to be able to contribute to the company, but be aware um, of cultivating, you know, sponsors, just don't put all your, you know, hats in one, in one basket because, Corporations are very dynamic and leadership teams change and priorities change. So you want to be really um, you want to be able to be rooted in your performance and your potential and then be sure you're you're um, connecting to the right people for that. Um, And on mentors, the only thing else I would add is, you know, it's, you know, younger talent tends to say, hey, will you mentor me to a lot of people? They need to be clear about what it is they need. Mentors, I've used mentors for different purposes, and they're not always a hierarchical mentor. Sometimes it was a peer, sometimes it was a subordinate, sometimes it was a superior or somebody outside the company. You want to understand what knowledge an individual has that you feel will help grow you and cultivate you. Those are the best ones, because now Mm -hmm. you're actually not just ideating about what's happening in your workplace, you're really thinking about transfer knowledge. Um, so look for the mentor that has a skill set that you need to grow in and um, and be selective on that. Yeah. And, and I think that another kind of important point for that is you don't want to feel like you're wasting the mentor's time or your time. You want to be very strategic in that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's why it's hard when someone asks us out of the blue after we speak at an event or yeah. something like that, you know, will you mentor me? At the basis of mentorship, effective mentorship and sponsorship is definitely personal connection, chemistry, and some shared history. So the best mentors Mm -hmm. or sponsors are people you've worked with or who at least work in or have worked in similar environments because it's otherwise just a really cold start to try to help somebody out from that place. Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely. You must get these requests too, right? Because people hear you and, you know, and what you don't know them from anywhere. And that's not the place to look for a mentor, our our advice. Absolutely. The people that I have, you know, mentored or sponsored, whether it's like, you know, just here and there or kind of a long term, there's a lot of people out there um, that's been more of a long term thing. It really has been yeah, kind of more of a natural relationship that we build over time. And I'm ha- and it doesn't feel like an obligation. It feels like I'm, I'm happy to do it. But it is it's those cold DMs or emails asking for a lot. And I'm like, I just met you. <laughs> wow, that's really ballsy. That's like I asking know. someone you just met on the street yeah, for a thank date. You Goodness, next. by me. Right. Yeah, like that's a, let's just, you know, calm down here. <laughs> because yeah, you don't want to feel like on the on the the mentee side, you want to make sure that you're valuable you're valuing their their time, their experience and, you know, on the mentor side, you want to feel that uh the same that they they respect and value that's your time exactly as well. Because it. it's even like when people ask me for a cup of coffee, now I'm like, no, because you know how long it takes yeah. me to get downtown <laughs> for a cup of coffee. I can do something a little bit more virtual. That that seems a little bit better. <laughs> Definitely. And I think that's probably why, you know, a lot of us are writing books, because at least it gives us a chance to put it all down in one place and to say, look, I it's not feasible to mentor or to sponsor and support everybody. everybody. Mm-hmm. But if you've got more than an hour and you can read this, this is literally what we know. And this is what we would tell you or our own kids if you asked us for advice. Absolutely. Now, the the one last thing that I want to touch on, of course, is that the big 
thing that I, I think is a big hurdle for many women is the money situation, the negotiation. And it's, you know, sometimes we do get the titles or, you know, the get to that kind of top spot and then you find out you're making 50% less than your male counterparts. Uh, I know a lot of this, again, has to do with bias in the workplace and all these things that are bigger than one individual can kind of tackle. But, you know, again, with your experience and your long careers, what are some things that were helpful in you making sure that you did get paid your worth or even understanding what that meant and having those secret conversations with people so you made sure that you did ask for enough? I think there's there's several things to consider, which we talk about in the book. Um, one is know your worth. Okay, so what does that mean? Um, do the research, understand there are a lot of um, avenues to be able to find out what like jobs to yours are, are valued at. And that's good information. The other thing, and I'll, I'll speak to one and then let Christiana jump in here. The other thing I found helpful is I paid attention to job scope and, mm-hmm. and not every day. Okay. But as you're, if you're a high performer and you have high capacity, you will likely find that you are doing a wider scope of work than potentially your job originally started out yep. or that your grade level has been doing. So being factual and unemotional about that and being able to document, hey, my job was X a year ago and now I'm doing Y, Z and B and being able to talk about a request to have your job reevaluated is a smart business move. It also makes you understand that you're feeling like you're representing yourself to be compensated fairly. So when those things happen, you're paying attention, you're doing a great job at it. So they're feeling the value. You may even be reminding people of the contribution you've been able to bring, but you're also talking about the fact that, you know, it's a time to review. And I have found that that's a pretty effective way of making sure you're compensated um, as your career grows, especially in, in a role or in a company for a longer period of time. Well, we, yeah, we have a quote that we include from Bolzema St. John. You've probably heard of her. She's amazing CMO. Um, you know, her quote is, give them a number and make it big. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason she says that is because kind of in classic negotiation theory, if you start with your floor, you're going to end up in the basement. If you start with your ceiling, you're going to end up somewhere in between in the, you know, in that range. Practically, we fully recognize that it can be hard for women to do that. And we hear the stories of women who asked for a raise and, you know, got the job pulled out from under them or whatever. So what's that mean? It means start start early. Don't wait until you're 50% undercompensated, right? Think about every year getting the fact base that Grace is talking about and making sure you stay current with what your scope of responsibility is, what others around you are getting paid. Because to your point, you can have those conversations. You can also go to anonymous sites, you know, Glassdoor, so many others and find out and make sure you know, you know, what's out there in terms of maybe recruiters giving you a call or having a few interesting conversations. The more you're informed, the more you're making a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. The second thing we always say is read the room. There mm-hmm. are times to ask for more money. There are times not to ask for more money. You got to learn that over time and you'll make some mistakes, right? Yeah. When your company's going through a restructuring, you're probably not going to get it. When there's been a massive layoff, that might not be good. It might be. Because you're being retained and you're one of the important ones they wanted to keep. You need to learn to read the, the nuance of, the, in, of the, the employer and the environment around you to know. But in general, at least annually, stay current with what you're worth. Then make the conscious decision about when you're going to ask for that increase. And the last thing I'll note is both Grace and I were 
were comparing notes and realized it, it is striking how often the men who reported to us when we did their annual review and told them their comp would ask for more and how rarely the women did. So even if we're afraid as women that we might get, you know, smacked back for asking for more, it's important to remind ourselves that in general, we don't ask often enough. And how does that translate into real dollars? We did some research in here and it says, gee, over the life of a career, if you start out early being behind the eight ball on yeah. not being paid, uh, not being compensated fairly, you never cut, you never, never catch up. up. You it's think, okay, very you difficult. You never catch up. And so there's the law of compounding, as you know, exactly. the gap yeah, becomes exactly. too significant. And that's why we say start early. Right? So one of the studies mm-hmm. said it can be up to half a million dollars over the lifetime of your career. So, you know, it's not an entitlement. It's a awareness of what you're doing and how you're contributing and assuming that you're contributing well to the company, making sure you're compensated fairly. And, um, you know, and taking doing the homework and having a practical business conversation on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't just uh, add to this is why it's so important to have your financial house in order, have that emergency fund, that buffer money, because you may be in a position where like you mentioned it is a reality for many women. They ask for more, they don't get it or the offer for the job is rescinded. You need to have options. Money gives you options. That cushion gives you options to to leave or to find continue the job search. You, uh, right. I, I couldn't, it couldn't resonate with me more. And we talked about <laughs> it. I mean, I from a very early age, both Christiana and I realized that we lived below our means to make sure that we built the nest egg. Okay, and it allowed yeah. us to take some of these big career moves, some of these riskier job changes, because we knew we had our financial house in order and optionality is critical. Um, and it allows you to, you know, to move into some of these opportunities more easily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not take, yeah, not take what's given to you. I mean, I look back at my career and like you mentioned, there's, there's data that shows if you don't start off earning a pretty good income, it's harder to catch up. And yeah, throughout my whole twenties, I really didn't earn as much as I know I should have. And it it did take me a long time. And now it's, it's, fine because I pivoted, switched careers, and I own my own business. But uh, it's one of those things I look back on, like, I wish I did things different. I, I wish I had the knowledge. I just didn't have the the knowledge or experience. But hopefully, well, and you asking, know, now that I think you know, we all know asking for smaller increases early is a lot mm-hmm. easier, right? If you're saying to somebody, yep. hey, it's, you know, a thousand a month or it's whatever that and you bring the facts to back it up. And that's a much easier ask, I mean, for a manager or a boss to look at and go, yeah, you're, you're showing me the data. And we can say this because Grace and I both sit on corporate boards now and the compensation committees pay third parties to go get them this information for their senior executives. But nobody's paying third parties as often to go do it for earlier roles in your career. You need to go do that for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also know that it is more expensive to hire someone new and train them than to if there's a good worker to good just point. give them more compensation. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> you've got a lot of things to kind of bring to the table with your presentation and why you should earn more. Well, I know we can uh, probably talk about so many things, but I, I, I'm so glad you wrote your book because I'm sure there's so many great uh, nuggets of wisdom in there that people need to uh, check out. Uh, where can people find a copy of your book and where can people find you online, Grace and Christine? Anna, where can people maybe hit the follow button? Great. So first of all, if you want more information on the book, careerforwardbook.com is the website. Also, it's available absolutely every place you buy books, as you would expect and hope. 
And, you know, we've got links in there as well to tell people when we're speaking at different events and, you know, where can they come hear us in person. So careerforwardbook.com is always a good place to start. And then you can find us on social media, for instance, on threads. Not a big fan Mm -hmm. of X, but I'm on threads at CC01 and on um, LinkedIn, of course, Christiana Smith-Sheek. Amazing. And Grace, where can can you find, are you on threads? Where can we find you? I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> we've, got, we've, got, we've got one shared site if you want both okay we're good forwardbook.com well I'll make sure to follow you I've, I've actually been yeah I, I honestly have not checked twitter in a while since its demise uh but I am a big fan of threads there's some great conversations so it I look is. forward to, to seeing what you're chatting about I think a lot of women have have moved over there and so it's become, yeah there's a lot yeah it's just it seems like a safer space yeah, a little bit over there, right so. and that's important <laughs> I'm support. I'm very supportive of that. And I'm a big fan yeah. of LinkedIn because mm-hmm. honestly, if, if you're talking about work and careers and jobs, if it's not happening on LinkedIn, it's probably not happening. It really yeah. is the place. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Grace and Christiana, for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you both. And, and I aspire to take some of your advice and see where it takes me. So thank you so much for Enjoyed taking Enjoyed it. Thank I- you so much, Jessica. And that was episode 389 of the More Money Podcast with Grace Puma and Christiana Smith. She, you can find more information about this episode. Literally, you can find everything in the show notes. And the show notes are so nice these days. I'm, I'm like, they're, they're fluffy. There's a lot of great stuff in there. If you go to jessicamorehouse.com slash 389, that is where you can find a link to purchase their book, Career Forward Strategies from Women Who've Made It. You can also watch the full interview if you want to watch. Why not? watch it. You loved it so much. Watch it, you know, watch it, listen to it again, do whatever you want. And then some links to things that we uh, touched on. And I mean, if you want to check out the transcript of this episode, it's there too. I've got it all in the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 389. If you're looking for show notes for any past episode, a couple of different ways you can go about it. Just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash podcast to find all of the different episodes by season. Or if you know the episode number, jessicamorehouse.com slash whatever that number of that episode is. Or if you don't know where the episode is, but you heard it and it was about some topic, but you can't remember, you t- email me. Like, honestly, I got DMs on Instagram. I get emails, jessica at jessicamorehouse.com. You can ask me, hey, what was that episode again? I will know it because I remember every single episode I've ever done. And I will tell you and I will direct you. So there you go. I am also giving away a copy of their book, Career Forward, and you can find all the details on how to enter to win at jessicamorehouse.com slash contest. And uh, I will be updating it as I have more authors on the show. And speaking of, let me just open up my little computer here and see who do we have on the show next. Ooh, it's another good episode. Next week, I've got Benjamin Quateru. He is the Associate Dean for Undergrad Programs at McGill University. But more importantly, and why he's coming on the show, is he is the Academic Director of the McGill Personal Finance Essentials Free Online Course, which started in November 2019. So it's been around actually for quite a while, and it's attracted over 200,000 participants, one of them being myself. And so we're going to talk all about what are some of these personal finance essentials that Canadians need to know and also what is in this course and should you check it out? I mean, yeah, it's free. Obviously, you should. Uh, so that is what's happening uh, next week. So, yeah, that's really it for me. Thank you so much for listening. And a big thank you to my podcast team, video edit by Justice Carrar and produced by MRAVCanada.com. And with that, thank you so much again. And I'll see you back here next Wednesday.
This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.